The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Uh, Johan Olivier is our shapeshifter. We are striving to reach Johan Olivier this evening. He is an urban planner. He is a, a local strategic advisor. He's executive director at Ranyaka Urban Planning. And I remember having a conversation many, many years ago on the Gautrain with Jack van der Merwe, who was the first guy put in charge of Gautrain. Gautrain. I said say that, but I didn't say van der Merwe first, so I can say train. Um, Gautrain. And, um, and Jack van der Merwe was just saying he was involved with the Joburg City Council when Santon was laid out. And uh, Santon, of course, uh, was just a piece of felt. 50 years ago, and then the likes of Donny Gordon and Liberty went and built Santon City in the middle of nowhere, and there's some fabulous pictures, I think you'll find them on the Liberty website of uh, probably a Toyota Cressida or something like that, and um, <clears throat> you know, architect's plans on the bonnet, you know, wonderful evocative image of these guys has been setting up Santon, and one thing Jack Ponomatova said to me was that he was, you know, they, at the time they did it, they wanted to keep, to keep its rural feel. Um, they wanted to keep the sort of gravel roads and um, the sort of the plot sizes and things. And nobody envisaged that Santon would explode in the way that it did. And as a result, access to Santon actually has been deeply problematic ever since it was mapped out and drawn up. And that's as a result of urban planning that didn't work out the way it should have. Well, Leon Olifid is with us, the chief executive at Ranyaka Urban Planning. And you've been doing this now since the dawn of democracy, Johan. Good evening. Hi, Bruce. There we go. I was going to say you're on mute, but you're not. You're with us. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm here. Sorry for that. No, no problem. You've been doing this for quite some time. Yes, Bruce. No, I think my first um, uh, job was at the Janet Pacific Council in 1994. And what was that job? I mean, 1994, the, the country is changing. Um, the inner city of Joburg is, you know, lots of businesses still in the inner city of Joburg. It's a very, very yes. different place to what it is now. What was the vision back yes. then? Now, yes, I think in 94, I was changing plotter pens and carrying paper. I was a very junior town planner um, in that big building, uh, the Johannesburg Municipal buildings so um, now it was big changes uh, Bruce there was a I think we lost about 20 senior town planners at that stage people that left the country um, so there was challenges but also opportunities for us to, to sort of do stuff that we normally would not have been done, doing if it was sort of normal circumstances um, and I mean when when we look at I mean you must have a sort of hindsight view of what the plan was for Johannesburg. It, yeah. This this couldn't have been the plan. The way in which Joburg has turned out could not have been the plan. Why did it fail? <laughs> sure, yeah, that's a very deep and a very broad question. Um, no, I think circumstances changed a lot. Uh, I think the, the, the uh, things got quite complicated, the systems and everything. Um, and sometimes uh, you need specific capacity to deal with certain challenges. And I think they're still building on that in terms of just internal capacity to deal with some quite complicated um, situations that sort of started to, to show themselves. Um, when when you, um, uh, did you work within the public sector then for, for a period of time? I mean, what was what was the career path? Yes, yeah, I'm losing, um 
I started in the city of Johannesburg, uh, 94, moved to the, the, the Midrand. Um, I'm trying to find the transitional local municipality or something that was called then in 1996. Um, and from there, moved back to Joburg in 2000, and I left the city in 2005. Okay, and did you find the process of sort of working within the city structures quite frustrating? No, I think I was quite fortunate. As I've said, 94, there was um, quite big gaps that um, that started to appear when some people left. So there was actually quite exciting new work for a young planner. I think Midrand was just amazing. We, um, we had a very good mayor, the um, chief financial officer. So we and um, worked with Ivory Park at that stage, which was a lot of I think it was 11,000 families that was sort of put in the felt. Um, so it was quite exciting it was until about, I think, 2004, five, when, when I just felt sure this, there's nothing more to, the growth is difficult now because the systems are starting to get quite, uh, quite tight and the red tape started to appear. But after then, it was really, I think, for any young planner, it was just amazing to work in a system like that. Really appreciated that, you know. No, well, absolutely. You learn the systems, you learn what, what works and what doesn't. And of course, that is yeah. critical in, in before you go out and start your own job. Um, you um, then, uh, was that where you started Ranyaka Urban Planning? I mean, was it as far back as then? No, we have started a consultancy with a good friend of mine, William Billa. He's, um, we actually started to work together in Midrand in 96. 96 um, Mr. Bilan myself started, he actually started the company. I then joined him. Uh, but we always had the dream, uh, Rusin starting in, in Midrand in 96, that we really, really want to get to, to where the communities are and really see if we cannot make impact there and, and share some of the experiences. Uh, so we started uh, Akanya, um, and that was a pure planning um, boutique um, consultancy. Um, and then only in 2013, we sort of got the chance to sort of get going with Raniaka. But it was a dream since 96. So it took a bit of time, but we got there. Um, and I'm very thankful to my friend, Mr. Bila, for just keeping keeping us going. And, and Akanya is still going up to today. I think this year was his 20th. Um, yeah, so it is it's quite, a, quite a journey with a good friend of mine. Uh, and and what is, how does the private sector urban planning work in the context of a government sector? Because what sort of planning do you do? Do you collaborate? Do you consult? How does that work? Now, at that stage, I think in the Mbeki era, there was quite a lot of new policies coming out um, and legislation to sort of start to change spatial planning and urban planning from the sort of apartheid type of planning to a more inclusive type of planning. So municipalities had to do a lot of updating of their policies and their plans, um, their strategies. So we did a lot of that type of work. That's also where we worked on the Gaut train um, station developments for Rosebank and Santon um, and Marlborough. 
So what is your so job? What, 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 what is your role in this? I, I live in a house um, across the road from mm. the Rosebank Mall in Melrose, for oh, example. Excellent. And And yeah. you know, no, I don't. I don't. I wish I did. It's very nice there. It's very leafy and green. <laughs> um, but let's say, for example, I did. Um, and you, you decide you're going to dig a great big channel down Oxford Street um, and you're going to open it up to the sky and then mm. you're going to put rail tracks in and you're going to drill tunnels mm. and you're going to do all of that sort of stuff. Uh, what is your role in the planning and the execution of that in that uh, because I mean those sorts of uh, hopefully we go back to those sorts of big infrastructure projects into the future yeah. I really hope that we do uh, but I'm curious as to what your role is and, and how you convince communities and tell people that this is you know, what you're planning and this is how <laughs> yeah. it's going to work because one of the things that you're a fundamental believer in is wearing running shoes to community meetings sometimes because you have to run away and sometimes because you run yes. toward opportunity um, but because um, these, these yeah. discussions <laughs> I'm sure can be quite fraught yeah, no, no, I think Rosebank is just, just like one of my favorite places, I think. Um, and as you've said, it, it starts always with some vision. Um, Joburg, we knew there was needed a change coming in terms of transportation. Of course, it didn't fully work out that way, but we had to look at a different way to transport a lot of people because, I mean, you can only build so much road. Um, and then if there's a vision, a dream, you start to look at what you have and there's a lot of property, property rights involved. As you've said, you cannot just um, build, you must now look at the, the legal property rights that's there. How do you change that? What is the new legislation that you need to write? Um, so that was a big part of that. Um, and coloring the maps with the new colors and the new schemes and the new rights that, uh, that should be in place to make the dream work. Um, but the big, the big, big part of that is to go and sit with communities and, and just first listen, and then also try to explain why that can be a better, um, a better situation for them. What's all the the benefits, and how can you start to mitigate against some of the things that can go wrong? Um, so that's a big part of that is to sort of translate that dream into like really ordinary uh, language, also. Um, so and are you are you people. urban are you urban planners or marketers? Because it seems like sometimes you have to sell <laughs> a, a, a really dreadful idea. <laughs> no, no, there's a lot of, and that's why I actually <laughs> probably enjoy the, the the profession. And Bruce, I mean, some days you're an architect and a dreamer, and um, looking at things that's twenty years ahead and putting in your in your mind all the schemes and the layouts and the things. And other days you're an attorney trying to to work with legislation and you sit in for, I worked for the Townsend's board for eight years. We, I was nearly a judge for the province um, looking at all these things. And some days you're a marketer and you really need to sell things to communities. Just in some days you're a mourner. You sit with communities. The work that we do now, it's quite emotional. Um, you're so okay. part of, pause, of people's Pause life. on that thought. Pause on that emotional stuff because I'd like to get into the detail of that, yes. the integrity of that. <laughs> and some days... You're an athlete where you have to run for your life yes. as people get across uh, because you're planning to take out the park or you're planning to do something that people yeah, don't yeah. like. <laughs> Chief Executive at Ranyaka Urban Planning, Johan Urlifir, is our shapeshifter this evening, enjoying our conversation tonight about the ins and outs and the trials, tribulations, turmoils and opportunities and sometimes the emotion, which we'll get to in a moment, of urban planning. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. 
And Johan Werdefeer, Chief Executive at Ranyaka Urban Planning, whose mission in life is to make community lives better, to improve community lives. And it doesn't always work out like that. Sometimes there are circumstances beyond your control. And sometimes, Johan, you were saying, things can get very, very emotional. Take me through that side of this idea of urban planning, which I think a lot of people would think to themselves, well, you sit in a room, you sit at a draftsman's table, uh, and you slice and dice, and you decide the way in which you know communities will evolve into the future. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, yes, I think, Bruce, to see the future, you need to experience the reality of today. Um, and I think I really enjoy that part where we some we just walk through the community, um, um, passages between shacks, um, and just trying to experience the feeling, um, the way things work now, um, and try to see how do you shift that into something new, even if you don't, if you cannot remove all the shacks, but what can you do to create a bit of a future um, just to make it a bit easier for people and to give them a little bit more hope than what they have then. Um, so it's quite technical because it's a very difficult place. You know, all the, all the houses stand next to each other, there's little passageways, there's not space. Um, so there's a lot of technical things that we try to work out. How do we improve that? Um, but it's just, you, so, you know, you're so close to people's lives at that scale um, that sometimes the, the te- technicalities sort of are pushed away and you just become part of people's everyday lives. Um, some of it, most of it is a lot of struggle, but you also meet the most amazing people that you just astonish what they can do with so little. Yeah, um, And that's, I think, what's really making planning, uh, the way we plan at the moment, just a totally different different thing that we do. Moving from the city where you have all these resources and you can sit in your office and all that. So that's, that's sort of a part that I really enjoy. And I think that's what we had when Mr. Bilal and myself dreamt about, really getting to where we need, we felt we need to be. Um, yeah, but as I say, it can be quite emotional because you're very close to reality, although you're looking for the future. How do you how do you go into a community like that as an ally of the community? Because I would imagine that often you're seen as some kind of a stooge of people who either want to bring the red ants in to flatten the shacks or whatever the case is. Mm. How do you mm. how do you convince people that actually? What you're here to do is to try and alleviate some of the worst aspects of the living conditions in which people find themselves. Yeah, I think the first thing is to make yourself very vulnerable. Um, You know, people can see you from a mile. um, and And it means sometimes that you must just open yourself and say, look, guys, here I am. I really want to contribute, um, not even help because, I mean, we, we cannot help always, but we can at least contribute something. And then the technical tools that, that we bring, um, Bruce, it is, it's, it's something, uh, the measurement tools that we use, um, people see their lives in that quite easily. Um, um, and they can see it's something close to them, what they experience every day. Um, and that, I mean, we were working at the moment in about 20 communities across the country. Um, of course, we go and speak to the municipality and through the ward councillors, uh, because we cannot just walk in there. We need to be invited in. Um, but I've always seen it's that vulnerable part. <laughs> your, your heart is sort of on your sleeve and then bringing the right technical tools. Because um, people need professional planning also for those type of areas. They need it even more 
than we sometimes do in areas like the Sandton or a Rosebank. And I think they really appreciate that, that we're not stepping there as we know all, but stepping in there with a heart to say, look, I can contribute something. Let's see where, where we can go as a team. And that, that for us, we've been very blessed so far in all the communities that we work in at the moment. And do you see a future in South Africa where we don't have informal settlements, where we have people living in decent housing, in brick housing with solid roofs and solid walls, away from floodplains and away mm. from so many of the, the problems that people mm. sort of find themselves thrust into. Is that even on the drawing board 20 years from now, I wonder? Yes, I want, I want to also move. I think if, if we keep being a country that open our hearts and our arms to other people, that type of shelter or, or housing, it's, it's affordable for people coming from across wherever that cannot afford anything better than that. Um, so it sounds very cynical or very uh, bad probably, but, but for some people that, that's where they start. Um, and that's what we as a country can afford at the moment to give people that wants to come in um, and experience the gener- experience and generosity of South Africa. Um, I know it looks bad, but sure, if you go into some of those houses, the way people have uh, decorated it, the way they look after what's in there. So well, I just because we'll just have. because just because people are poor <laughs> doesn't mean they're not dignified. I mean, it's you know, and that's, that's the it, yeah. that, that's what's so amazing about so many poorer communities across our country yes. is people have an extraordinary no, amount of, of, of pride and dignity, no matter the, no matter yes. the circumstances. Yeah. So for me, it's a, it's a step sometimes for people to st- at least start. We see it all across the country where um, people find a space, a land. They, um, yeah, in, in areas close to the city of Cape Town, because Cape Town is actually quite expensive, even if you're poor. Um, so they normally settle, settle up uh, sort of close to the city that they can start to move closer. So I don't know it will be brilliant if we have the resources to sort of um, get rid of everything. But, but currently we are a country that invites people in because we can at least provide some something. Um, and that's one of the ways that they can come into the, into the country. Johan Willifield, we must leave it there. But thank you, Chief Executive of, Ran- of Ranyaka Urban Planning.